Let's open our Bibles this evening to the book of Judges, chapter number five tonight. Judges, chapter number five. Yes, we are finally getting back to the book of Judges. And we're going to be looking at the story of Jail in the Nail, part number two. And you may wonder, is it really pronounced jail or is it J-L? I say it's jail because that rhymes with nail. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Tonight we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 5 beginning in verse number 24. And we'll read through the end of the chapter, verse 31. Judges chapter 5, verse 24. Blessed above women shall jail the wife of Heber the Kenite be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail, and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with a hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. The mother of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Her wise ladies answered her, Yea, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey? To every man a damsel or two, to to Sisera, a prey of diverse colors, a prey of diverse colors of needlework, of diverse colors of needlework on both sides, meet for the necks of them that take the spoil. So let all the enemies perish, O Lord. But let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth, in his might. And the land had rest 40 years. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would instruct us during this time in your word, that you would encourage our hearts, that we would be bold and firm in our faith, that we would live in victory and glorify you through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Judges chapter 5 is actually a song. It's a duet. And it was sung by Deborah and Barak. If you go back to verse number 1 of the chapter, you read, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves. So this is coming, of course, right off of chapter 4 when God delivered the army of the Canaanites into the hand of the Israelites under the leadership of Deborah and Barak. Now we looked at the story several weeks ago, uh, so we're not going to rehash all of that. But you remember that Barak was, was the man who was supposed to lead Israel to fight the Canaanites and go up against the, uh, the general named Sisera, but he refused to do it unless Deborah went with him. Remember, he, she called him and said, hasn't God told you to go to war? And he said, I'm not going unless you go with me. And so she said, well, I'll go with you, but just so you know, uh, you're not going to get all the credit for the victory. Somebody else, a woman, in fact, is going to get the honor for the victory. And at the end of chapter 5, we read the story 
of when Sisera was fleeing away from the armies of Israel and he came to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, verse number 17. So just for sake of review, let's pick up in verse number 18 of chapter 4 to see what it was that Deborah and Barak were singing about in chapter 5. Chapter 4, verse 18, And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her in the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. Again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say, No. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took an hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaanite of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So in chapter 5, we have this song of praise that's praising the Lord for the great victory that Israel had in defeating the Canaanites who were oppressing them. And it concludes by honoring this woman by the name of Jael, the woman who actually killed Sisera, the general of the army. And in this song, as they are commemorating the victory, they honor this woman for her cunning and for her courage, and ultimately praising the Lord for the defeat or for the, the victory that they experienced that day. You might be wondering, what in the world can we learn from a story like this? Well, I think it is a good illustration. Certainly, there's a lot about this story that does not apply today, all right? This is not going to be about getting a bucket of nails and a hammer and going and chasing down your enemies. But I do believe that this is a very good example of a biblical principle that as Christians, we should not accept defeat. We should not accept defeat. We have been given victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we should refuse to live in anything less than victory. Like Jael was wise and brave and trusted God for the victory, we also must be wise and brave and trust God if we want to experience daily victory in our life. So from Judges chapter 5, I want you to notice three truths with me about this story. First of all, notice Jael's cunning her cunning. Back in uh, verse number 25, it says that he, that is Sisera, asked water and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. Now some of what is written in chapter 5 is, is we might say poetic in nature. It's a song, and so it's, it's being, uh, some very descriptive language is being used. Um, and, uh, and it describes here how when Sisera came to jail and hid in her tent, there was a particular, uh, particular instance that was actually very significant in what happened here. He came in, and of course he was tired. He'd been running from the uh, armies of Israel. 
and he was probably very hot, and he was, of course, thirsty. And so as he's hiding in the tent, he asks her for some water, but instead of giving him water, what does she do? She gives him milk. Now, why is that significant? Well, you know, they say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Right, ladies? Y'all with me tonight? All right, if you're any doubt about that, the first time I proposed to my wife was when she had made me some of her famous oatmeal cookies many, many years ago. I had known her for just a few months, and she gave me those cookies, and I said, wow, will you marry me? She thought I was kidding. I had to ask again a little while later so she knew I was serious. What was, what was she doing here? Why did she give him milk? Well, there's something, of course, about you know, a nice glass of milk that just kind of puts you at ease. And perhaps maybe when your children were small, if they were having trouble sleeping at night, you might have given them a glass of milk or maybe even a glass of warm milk just to kind of settle them down, just to kind of put them at ease, just to kind of help them rest. And what she was doing here, she was making him feel comfortable and at ease. In verse number 18 of chapter 4, it says that when he had turned into her tent, she covered him with a mantle. Come on in, lay down, you're tired. Here, lay down, I'll throw this blanket over you. You can take a nap, you can rest. It's all right. She, I love how it's described in verse 25 of chapter 5. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. I appeals half the meal, right? And so she brought him something to drink, something to eat, a little snack, something to put him at ease, something to make him feel comfortable. And lo and behold, what happened? He fell asleep. He fell asleep. She gave him food that would make him drowsy and make, she made him comfortable. She covered him up. He got sleepy because he was exhausted from running. He was tired. And sure enough, for long, he was gone. He was out like a light, you might say. Now, in the context here, was this premeditated? Do you think Jail had sat down a couple days before and thought this plan out and said, you know what, if the general just happens to come by my way and ask for a place to hide, I'm going to put him in the tent and I'm going to cover him with a blanket, make him feel comfortable, give him some milk so he'll go to sleep so I can put a nail in his head. <laughs> no. She had no idea that he was going to come. And in fact, based on chapter 4, there had been peace between the house of Heber and the Canaanites and, and everything. So there was no reason for her to have, have you know, made any plan for this. It wasn't premeditated. But what's important to know from a biblical standpoint is it was predicted. Going all the way back to chapter 4 and verse number 9, Deborah prophesied something like this would happen. She said there... And uh, I will surely go with thee. She's speaking to Barak now. Notwithstanding, the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went to Bar- with Barak to Kadesh. So for her part, this was not premeditated action. But on God's part, it was prophesied. It was predicted. And what happened here is that God presented her with an opportunity and she wisely took advantage of it. Now, we understand this is unique to the Old Testament, all right? We're not the Old Testament Israelites. We are not at war with Canaan. This is a completely different scenario than where we live today. But there are some principles here. And when I look at what Jael did, I see a wonderful example of a smart woman taking advantage of a God-given opportunity. 
There is no virtue in ignorance. Do you agree with me? You know, some people seem to have this idea that, uh, you know, they don't need all that edumacation. But there is no virtue in ignorance. As a child of God, we should be learning, we should be smart, and more than either of those, we should practice biblical wisdom. And when it comes to doing the Lord's work, we ought to be smart about it. Intelligent, that is. Turn over to the book of Luke. Keep your finger in in Judges because we'll come back in just a moment. But let's look in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Verse number 8. Picking up at the end of a parable that Jesus was telling here, but I want you to notice what He said. Luke 16 and verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Notice this last, last phrase. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, is he, what does He mean? The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Who are the children of light? Christians, followers of God. Who are the children of this world? This would be unbelievers. You following me so far? Jesus said that the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. Unbelievers are wiser than believers? Does that strike you as kind of odd? It is, is it not? What is Jesus saying here? Well, notice here, He's not advocating that we become children of the world. But He is pointing out a truth that unfortunately exists. And it's this, that oftentimes lost people are more intelligent in their pursuit of wickedness than saved people are in their pursuit of righteousness. That is an unfortunate truth. That oftentimes the people in the world will apply themselves to gain knowledge and learning in order to pursue their wicked and selfish ends more than Christians will pursue knowledge and learning in order to pursue righteous ends. That's an indictment on the people of God because we have a source of wisdom that the world does not have. We have no excuse for being more ignorant in our pursuit of righteousness than they are in their pursuit of wickedness because we have James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. We have no excuse. Now, Do not confuse what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that, you know, we all have to get a certain level of college education and have these degrees and we need to be able to impress people with all of our book learning and all of these things. It's not about that, but it is about the the desire and the principle to do all things to the best of our ability, and that means doing things intelligently. We can be smart and serve God, amen? We can do both. 
And the first thing I see about Jael is that she took advantage wisely of a God-given opportunity. In her context, God presented her an opportunity. She was smart about making the most of it. And because of that, God gave them a great victory that day. Her cunning. But notice, secondly, her courage here. Back in Judges chapter 5, She's given him the milk. She's brought forth the butter in a lordly dish. She's laid him down. She's covered him up with the, with the mantle, made him nice and comfortable, made him feel at ease. He asked her to stand guard. I imagine that she does. She stands there at the door so he's, he's comfortable and then he falls asleep. So what does she do? She put her hand to the nail, verse 26, and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. What I see in this is her courage. Her courage. This took took some guts to do what she did. She was a very brave woman, wouldn't you agree? Think about it. What if he woke up as she's crouching over him with a tent peg and a hammer and all of a sudden he wakes up? What's going to happen? This man is a general in an army. He's a professional soldier. What's going to happen to her? It's probably not going to go well. If he had, if he had waken up when she was in the middle of that, he very easily could have overpowered her, and it's very doubtful he would have been merciful to her. This took some courage. And I think it's also noteworthy that she was braver than the main man in the story, Barak. Remember? Deborah called Barak and said, Hey, didn't God tell you to go and fight against Sisera? And Barak said, I'm not going unless you come with me, Deborah. And she said, Okay, I'll go with you. But you're not going to get the credit for it. But here is Jael all alone with Sisera. Which begs the question, where was her husband? We don't know. We can only speculate. But here she is all alone, and she takes this opportunity to win a decisive victory for the people of God. This woman went to battle with no one by her. Now let me ask you, do you think, put yourself in jail's position, would you have been at least a little bit afraid? Yes or no? Yes. If you say no, I want to shake your hand afterwards. You're one tough cookie. I think any of us would have at least just a little bit of nervousness. What happens when I go to do this? What if the hammer slips and I just bonk him on the head and wake him up? I mean, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong here. See, courage is not the lack of fear. Many people mistakenly think that a brave person, a courageous person has no fear. You remember years ago, and still you see it sometimes today, those those, uh, bumper stickers or the window decals, no fear. No fear. What that should say is no brains. (laughs) Because if you have any brains, you're going to have a healthy fear about a lot of things, right? Courage is not the lack of fear, but it is rather the determination to do what is right in spite of your fear. That is what true courage is. Yes, there are some things that cause me to feel frightened, 
but I'm not going to let those things stop me from doing what is right. And again, I think this is a wonderful illustration of a universal spiritual principle that we as people of God need to have courage. The courage to do what is right even when we're afraid to do it. How can we do that? How can we have that kind of courage? It's simple. We must realize that true courage comes from God. Not from within ourselves, but from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 is a verse you probably know. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That spirit of fearfulness that prevents us from doing what we ought to do, that's not of the Lord. God is the one who gives us power, love, a sound mind. That is right thinking to be able to do what God wants us to do. True courage only comes from God. Isn't it a wonderful, wonderful blessing that God has promised to always be with us? I was talking with Dr. Allman briefly before the service and about the promises of God. And I was reminded of this, this promise that God has given. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that a wonderful truth? No matter where you go, no matter what you do, God will be with you. Joshua 1.9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee. Now Joshua was a man who had military training. He had led Israelite to number uh, to victories and battles already. He had uh, been given a lot of administrative and practical training as he shadowed Moses for for decades. He had a lot of experience. He had a lot of education. He had a lot of training. But that's not what God used to encourage him to have courage. He didn't say, be strong and of a good courage because you got this. He didn't say, be strong and of a good courage because you're a smart guy. You can figure it out. He said, I am with thee. That was the foundation of his courage. Not only is God with us, but he has promised to help us. He's not just going to stand there and watch us fail. When we trust him, he gives us victory. He helps us. Psalm 46 and verse number 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know what a very present help is? Well, let me illustrate it this way. You've all had someone who was present when you needed help, right? And they stood there like this. Boy, that sure looks hard. Better be nice if somebody helped you. (laughs) They're present. But you know what very present, a very present help is? It's this. Boy, that looks hard. Let me help you. That's the difference. God is not just present watching us in our trouble and in our trials and in our difficulties. He's very present helping us. He's a very present help in time of trouble. You know, jail here, we don't know a lot about her except for what brief mentions she gets in these couple chapters. But God used her in a mighty way because she had enough courage to do something that was unconventional, you might say. God gave them victory. So let's see, number three. I'm just going to call it her championship. Back in uh, Judges chapter 5, 
It says she put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer, and with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. Notice what it says in verse 27. At her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. Whereas we read in Judges chapter 4, so he died. What was the result? The result was the death of this man who was leading the army that was oppressing the Israelites, that was going to destroy them. And, and there was an anticipation of victory on the side of the Canaanites. They thought for sure that they were going to win, no problem. And, and in this song, there's uh, in verse 28 and uh, 29 and 30, uh, as they're singing about this, they, 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 uh, they imagine this conversation that Sisera's mom might have had. Now, just as an aside, this is, you know, very much they are celebrating their victory. I mean, anytime you, you bring in your mama here, you know, this is, you know, they're, they're really uh, kind of on the borderline here and in, in rubbing it in. But notice how they, how they described it. The mother of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariot? Her wise ladies answered her, yea, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Are they not done yet? Are they not on their way back yet? What's taken so long? Have they not divided the prey? I mean, they should have already been done and have already divided the spoils. To every man a damsel or two. I mean, they should be on their way back with, with, uh, uh, with slaves and with stuff and uh, he should have the prey of diverse colors and he talks about how he should be coming back all decorated from his victory and 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 uh, you know what what's going on what takes what's taking so long you see the Canaanites thought for sure they were going to have an easy victory but God delivered his people that day in a remarkable way because, in large part, because of this lady named Jael. You know, when she did this to Sisera, the army was already on the run. But this particular action, when she killed Sisera, was a decisive action that sealed the victory. It was the final nail in the coffin, if you will. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. And God gave them victory in 40 years of peace. Then notice that last verse again. So let all the enemies, thine enemies, perish, O Lord. And the last phrase, and the land had rest 40 years. You know, when you are working with God, you cannot be defeated. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because, you know, too many times Christians accept defeat when we don't have to. Victory is guaranteed to the child of God. People can oppose you. They can make your life miserable, but they cannot stop God from fulfilling His sovereign purpose in our lives. Turn to Romans chapter 8.
Romans chapter 8. Verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is implied, not given. But let's answer the question. Let's answer it out loud tonight. If God can be, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can successfully stop God? No one. No one. If God be for us, no one can be against us. Now look down at verse 37 here. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. How? Through Him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. Satan wants you to live in defeat. He wants to dominate your life with sin and wickedness. He wants you to live under His oppressive rule. He wants you to live in fear, in worry, in frustration, in anxiety, in agitation. He wants to rob you of the joy that Christ gives. And He wants to take away from the glory that God should get from your life. That's what Satan wants for you. But you do not have to live a defeated life. You can enjoy victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. Through Him that loved us. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 57 and 58 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be as steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We can live in victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Him that Satan was defeated, that sin's power over us was destroyed. We should not accept defeat. The world, that is those who are on the devil's side, wants you to surrender to them too. They want you to live like they live, think like they think, act like they act, talk like they talk. And sometimes the pressure of the world can seem almost overwhelming. Just go along to get along. But we can live in victory over the world too through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5 verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. We do not have to live in defeat. We can enjoy victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe that Jail is an outstanding example of this. Though she did things in her time and in her context that we know are very different than where we are at today. Yet there's some principles here. From her cunning, we learn that we should be wise too. 
From her courage, we learn that we need to be brave and not let fear stop us from doing what is right. And from the championship that God gave them, the victory, we learn that we need to trust God for the victory and enjoy it. Refuse to accept defeat and enjoy the victorious Christian life. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the Word that encourages us and helps us. And these stories in the Old Testament, your, your Word tells us that they were written for our learning so that we might be encouraged and might be exhorted to live how You want us to live. And God, I pray that we would not accept defeat, but that, Lord, we would, by faith, claim and enjoy the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ has won for us. And Lord, that you would be magnified through our lives as we overcome the world and the devil. And as we experience the joy and the satisfaction that comes through living how you have instructed us to live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.